lot by looking at what it is to have the proper identity, being those who are formed into the image of Christ, as was read in the, the passage just a moment ago, specifically Colossians 3, verse 10. We're thinking about what that looks like, what to be, how we will live, how we'll talk, how we'll think, how we'll associate with others, how it'll be lived out in our lives if we're really trying to um, be formed into the image of our Creator. Now we know just by virtue of being born, just by virtue of being made, that we are made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. So we are image bearers of the one who made us. We are image bearers. But we are to look like and sound like and think like we're to be like the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so that's why this, this verse says, this passage says in verse 10, that we are to be renewed in knowledge after the image of our Creator. So we want to think closely and carefully about, about what this means. Just, just looking here at a few, a few lines in Colossians chapter 3. So let's, let's take a minute. We've read it before and we're going to read it again if the Lord allows us to. But let's read a few lines here that, that will culminate in what David read for us. But let's read in Colossians 3. Let's start at verse 1. Colossians 3.1. Because I want you to have all these things sort of freshly cemented in your mind. This is what the Bible says. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So listen to what he says. If Christ is your life, here's what you and I will do. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. For example, this isn't an exhaustive list, but here's five things that absolutely must be part of any list that a Christian seeks to do away with. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's how serious that is. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Here's some more things to put away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Put those things, those things shouldn't be spoken from the lips of the disciple of Jesus. Verse 9, he continues, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. Lying is what the old man does. Lying is what the one who doesn't know Jesus does. Don't lie to each other. That's the old way. Verse 10. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then verse 11. Here, remember this is amongst the chosen, in the, the church of the Lord. Here, there is not Greek and Jew. Here, there is not circumcised and uncircumcised here there's not barbarian and scythian slave free but christ it says christ is all and in all 
All right. So that's the, that's the passage. That's the, the section of Scripture we're thinking through today as we seek to have our identity be that of Jesus, that we're being molded into, formed in the image of Jesus the Christ. So here's the first thing. Here's where we've got to start. Is that if we're going to be those that um, live after or are identified by Jesus Christ, our identity in Christ is going to be multifaceted. And it's going to start with this. It's going to start by being raised with Christ. You can't identify with Christ. You can't say you are in Christ. You can't say you're being made in the image of Christ unless you have first been raised with Christ. That's what he says in 3.1, right? If you have been raised with Christ. So we can, we can stop right there and say, well, if you have not been raised with Christ, then these next things don't apply yet, right? We've got to start there. If you've been raised with Christ. Well, what does he mean? That's a really important thing to understand. What does he mean if you've been raised with Christ? Well, thankfully, he doesn't leave us groping around, stumbling around in the dark. He tells us point blank. Just, just cast your eyes up a little bit in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. He tells us exactly what it means to be raised with Christ. 2.12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made you alive together with him and forgave us of our trespasses. So there you go. You've been buried with Christ, like he says in Romans 3, or Romans 6, 3 to 5. Buried with him and then raised by the power of the resurrection to a new life with him. And so he says here, if you've been raised with Christ, if you have been baptized into Christ, raised by the power of the resurrection to a new life, forgiven, made whole, made clean, made new, restored, all, all those things. This is the beginning. We have no life in him unless we've been buried and raised with him. And so he says in places like Romans 6, 3, Galatians 3, 27, that we're baptized into Christ. And he says, I put you here in this place where you go in dead and you come out alive. You go in lost, you come out found. That's the idea. He says, here's where you are raised up to a brand new place. I don't understand why. You don't understand why, but that's what God says. That's what he chose to do. In his infinite wisdom, he says, this is my plan. So if you've been raised with Christ... The next thing is this, you must be identifying with him and saying that he is your life. See verse four, when Christ who is your life appears. So he's taken us, here's how he's our life. Here's how Christ is our life. He says in chapter two, verse 13, he took dead people and gave them life. He took dead people and made them alive. That's how he's my life. In part, that's where it starts. Without him, I'm dead. Without Jesus, I'm nothing. Without Jesus and his power and his grace and his mercy, I'm nothing. But with Jesus, I'm alive. So that's how he's my life. But then it goes further than that. It's not only that he's given me life in the power of the resurrection, but it's also he's my life in that every single day when I get up, when I begin a new day, a new morning, a new beautiful day like this, I do so thinking I've been blessed by the Lord, and this is a day the Lord has made, and so I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it, and I'm going to live this day for Him because He's my life. Paul would say it this way in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. He's my life. And because every single day that I live, He's my life, if I die, that's gain. 
God's goals should be our goals because he's our life. He even goes on to say it this way. Because he's our life, he says in verse 3, you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's your, he's your protector. He's your provider. He's your sustainer. Your life now is connected to him. Your life now depends on him. Because he gave you life and now he protects you, sustains you. You're, he's your life. Everything about us now should be about him and because of him. And that's why he says down in verse 10 then. He says in verse 10 that we're being renewed in knowledge after the image of our Creator. We want to look like Jesus now in the way we think and the way we talk. And we want to look like Jesus later, like it says in 1 John chapter 3 at verse 2. When He appears, we shall be like Him. We want to look like Him now and later. We want to think like Him now. We want to act like Him now. If He's our life, if we really want to be like Him and be with Him, our collective homes and our individual lives will reflect this idea that our identity is wrapped up in Jesus Christ because He's my life. He gave me life. He sustains me. He's who give me, gives me hope. He's my life. But it goes on. Because you see, you can't just make that claim. That's kind of like saying, Jesus would say in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not just everyone who says, Lord, you're my life. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father who's in heaven. And so it's one thing to say, Jesus, you are my life. It's another thing to demonstrate it with the way that we live, and so that's why we press further. Now these things, these next two things, especially this one, these next two points I'm not really excited about talking about. But the text here in Colossians 3 makes it crystal clear that if we're going to do our duty as, as Bible students, and if I'm going to do my, my role and my obligation to be like the Apostle Paul and preach the whole counsel of God, this must be said. Look at verses 5 and 6 here. Put to death what's earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion. The King James would say evil concupiscence. Lust, this evil desire that, that wells up within you that you seek to give action to, that you seek to release. And then he says, and covetousness, seeking what belongs to someone else, this greed, this evil greed that is just idolatry that replaces God with the things and the money and people and takes God from his holy place and puts something else there. He said, these things are so serious. Verse 6 says, the wrath, is God, the wrath of God is coming because of them. The world tells us a different story about the role and the purpose of the body. And for some reason, the church seems to be listening. And that shouldn't be the case. Why would Christian parents, why would Christian homes be fooled by this lie? Go to 1 Corinthians with me real quick. Let's read two places in 1 Corinthians before we come back to Colossians 3. Because the Lord Jesus Christ gives a great deal of attention to the way that we use our bodies. Scripture in general has a great deal to say about remaining pure, about using our bodies in a way that 
that pleases and glorifies the Lord? Scripture says a lot about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 18. I just want you to think about it this way. He says, let no one deceive himself. So stop lying to yourself. Stop believing the lies of the world. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So you can, who can listen to, the world or the Lord? For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Go over a few pages to chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to read several lines here, several verses in 1 Corinthians 6. But let it sink in. Let it be very crystal clear about what the Word of God is saying to us. 1 Corinthians 6, let's start reading together at verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So again, don't be deceived. Don't lie to yourself. Don't believe the lies of the world. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, because that sounds so hopeless, but he gives us so much hope here. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Thank God, praise God, that our past can be forgotten and destroyed by the power of the resurrection. Amen? And he goes on to say, but listen to what he says about our bodies in verse 14. Verse 14 says, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Don't you know I care about the way you use your body, the Lord says. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it's written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So listen to verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And you're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And so we come back to Colossians 3. Do we believe the things that we read in 1 Corinthians 6? Do we believe the things we read in Colossians 3? He says here in Colossians 3, verse 5, we are to put to death these things like sexual immorality and the other things. You know what he means when he says put these things to death? That means take extreme measures. That means do whatever it takes to separate, divorce, remove yourself from these things that are these sins with the body. Extreme measures. Jesus would say it this way over in Matthew 5, 27 through 30. When he's, he's teaching about what to do with, with the body, he says, look, if you got to cut your eye out, do it. you got to cut your hand off, do it. Do whatever it takes to separate yourself from those things, to keep yourself away from those things that would take you away from the Lord. I wonder what we're willing to do to distance ourselves from the world. What are we as parents, what are we as, as Christian homes, what are we willing to do to distance ourselves from those things that call down, Colossians 3, 6, 
will we distance ourselves from the things that call down the wrath of God? Let me give you just three examples. Three examples of the like 20 million we could probably list. Here's three. Read an article earlier in October that was about the TV show Dancing with the Stars. Now, this was about what happens behind the scenes, right? I don't know why I read it, but I'm glad I did. Never once watched the show, so I don't know anything about it. I couldn't tell you, you know, who a judge is or who a what is. I know nothing about it. But I read this article about it because it was talking about what happens behind the scenes there. And this one quote, two quotes actually, were really revolutionary to me. Here's a quote from the article. Brooke Burke, I don't know who that is, but apparently she's famous. Brooke Burke admitted to considering an affair with her partner, her dancing partner, Derek Huff. Again, I don't know either one of these people. Brooke Burke admitted to considering an affair with her partner, Derek Huff, based on how intimate their routines felt. Speaking of dancing, she said, you're in someone's arms. Why do you think people fall in love that way? So she's saying, unsolicited, she's saying, I wanted to have an I wanted to cheat on my spouse based on what we were doing there. You think it's strange, you think it's old-timey, you think it's old-fashioned that the Lord says, take care of your body. Christian parents must be realistic about this. Because I won't share the intimate details that went on in that article, but Mrs. Burke and the others quoted there were very forthright. They were very matter of a fact that they said there's a special connection that takes place when two people are so close together. Well, imagine that. The Bible says in Colossians 3.5, do anything you can to get away from and not be entangled with sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, because the wrath of God comes next. We need to have thought about this. I hadn't thought about it. We need to think about it. Last month, I also read another article about the way that the current generation views things like sex and violence. A communications expert, that's the way they're labeled in the article, a communications expert said, this generation has seen it all. Violence, pornography, gaslighting, addiction, war. Millennials and Gen Zers are inured. They are accustomed to nudity, sex, cursing, and gender flexibility. Times are changing, and this generation cares far more about climate change than a naked actress in a cute little movie. I do not doubt the sincerity of the person who wrote that article. I do not doubt the sincerity of the expert that was quoted. And in fact, I'm terrified that it's correct. Aren't you? That they say that there's certain... I'm not saying the Lord put us here to take care of the earth. It's not saying go destroy the earth. That's ridiculous. Take care of who you are and where you live. Take care of you. It's not to belittle climate change. It's not to belittle the world. But to say that matters and all the other things don't. That's like saying that matters in Colossians 3.5 doesn't matter. The Lord said, this is what I'm telling you to be like. I'm saddened by it. And Christian parents should be awakened that this is the way that it's portrayed in the way that many think. Put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness because these things call down the wrath of God. Here's the last one. Last one I want to mention. 
A book just came out a couple of months ago, and it's called The Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. The Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. It deals with really heavy topics along the lines of sexual morality that are sort of the, the main buzzwords in culture right now. But the fifth lie that this person deals with is the interesting one, I think, here for this conversation. The fifth lie that is mentioned here is this. Here's the lie. Modesty is an outdated burden that serves male dominance and holds women back. Written by a woman, she says this is a lie. This is a lie that our culture has bought. That modesty is an outdated burden that only serves male dominance and holds women back. Her name is Rosaria Butterfield, and I would say that Dr. Butterfield is correct when she says that modesty has been replaced by exhibitionism in our culture. And she is correct, Dr. Butterfield is correct when she says that modesty serves a vital role in our sanctification. Modesty guards us, it protects us and others from temptation. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, modesty and self-control are defined as good works. In 1 Peter 1, verses 5 through 9, we have things that are added to faith like virtue and self-control and godliness what we're to understand is that modesty is a biblical virtue that can't be ignored or overlooked or cast aside as part of a bygone era because the scripture still says sexual immorality impurity passions and evil desires are to be put away with everything that we have that's the tip of the iceberg we could keep going but I felt like we had to talk about Colossians 3.5 for a moment and think about it as, as parents. Think about it as those that are grandparents and those in a positions of authority that are seeking to rear and raise up those who will know the Lord and love the Lord and be looking like the Lord in every kind of way that we can. And so let's talk for a minute about the way that we are speaking as well because this is what the Bible says, Colossians 3.8. Colossians 3.8 says, Now you must put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Put away obscene talk. And don't lie to each other, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. It's really, if you stop and start to go back and look, it's really incredible at how much attention Jesus gives to the subject of speech. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, insults and name-calling, that's unacceptable for the disciple. It's worthy of punishment, as a matter of fact, Jesus says. He'd go on to say in Matthew 5, 33 through 37, that we should just let our yes be yes, our no be no. When you speak, you should be counted on. Jesus would further say in Matthew 12 at verse 36, listen to Jesus, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. Paul would go further and say this in Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only as it's good for building up and fits the occasion that it'll give grace to those who hear. And then Ephesians 5, 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are all out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. I continue to be amazed. And I wonder why we wink at this. Why do we, why do we roll our eyes at this? Why do we ignore this? When the Lord couldn't have been more plain and more clear, why do we act like He meant other things He said, but He didn't mean this? Should not our home be defined by the way that we talk? Obscene talk should be gone. He says, remove that like a coat you've been wearing, throw it out. Like something that's alive, you put it to death. That's not part of who you are anymore. It's gone. 
replaced by helpful, encouraging, pure words. Lies, lies are just gone. They're replaced by the truth. They're replaced by the desire to see others picked up and help others mature and grow and grow closer to the Lord. Our speech matters. The Lord says this matters. If you're going to be made in the image of Jesus, because imagine that. Imagine the very one who said, by your words, you'll be judged. By your words, you'll be condemned or excused. Imagine him lying, gossiping, cursing, doing all those obscene things that are just so common. And yet we're to be made into his image in body, in speech, in conduct, in word. And so that brings us to the last thing. There's one label, one label that we should really, really care about in a world that's consumed with identity and labels. You know, we hear all about you know, identity politics and we hear about the way that uh, culture is moving to a place where we think that our identity is self-determined. It comes from feelings within and all those kinds of things. Just reject outside authority and you tell us how you feel and that'll be the deciding factor. You do you. Our identity is found, listen to me, our identity is found in who God is and who God says we are. That's where our identity is found. We're never going to discover who we are by just looking within. My heart is going to be deceitful. My mind is going to play tricks on me, as it were. I can, I can make myself look pretty good when I just stop and think, yeah, I'm a pretty good fellow. But I'm not the standard. And when I start to compare myself to the standard, I really see, well, you know what, maybe I'm not that great a guy after all. Maybe you shouldn't be emulating me. I'm not to the point yet where I would say like Paul did, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I would just say imitate Christ. Don't imitate me. I'm not there. Jesus is the one to look at and to sound like and to be like. Our identity is found in who God is and who he says we are. We are dependent upon the Lord because He is our life. We're poor and we're weak and we need Him to give us life. We need Him to sustain us and hide us and protect us. We are, are sinful, but because of Jesus, we can be forgiven. And we're children and we need to grow and we need to be protected and we need to be nurtured. But we're loved by the perfect Father. We're loved unconditionally. We're loved unendingly. You see, all the other labels fade away. None of the other labels work. The only one that matters, the only one that lasts, the only one that lifts up is the name of Christ. You see verse 11? Let's read verse 11 as we quit today. Here with the chosen, here with the church of, of Christ, he says, here's, here's among the chosen, here's among the body of Jesus. There's not Greek or Jew. Circumcised or uncircumcised, the, the barbarians or the Scythians or the slaves or the frees, none of those things, none of those labels matter. You can continue piling up the labels from 2023. Reject those. Christ is all. Christ is our life. Christ is the name that we wear. If you've been buried with Christ in the watery grave of baptism, raised in the power of resurrection to a brand new life, you wear the name of Christ. That's why we say we are Christians, because we wear the name of Christ. So he's our life. He's the name we wear. It's in Christ that we find our identity. And so each of us must wear the name of Christ and live it. That's the label that matters.
So I guess I ask you this morning as we, as we draw this to a close, have you been raised with Christ? Have you been living for Him? What label do you wear? What label are you most concerned about? Where do you find your identity? Where do you, where do you really place that, that firm flag and say, here's where I care about. Here's where I find my identity. Because if you're searching, we want to help. If you're searching, we want you to know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, we want to help, and we want you to help us be more like Him. Because we want to be made into His image. He's the name we wear. His is a label that matters. If there's any way we can encourage you or help you this morning, won't you come while we stand and sing?